0: Colossians chapter 1. Our focus for today is going to be in uh, verses 15 and 16 as we kind of look at this Colossian hymn or creed. Uh, but we will read uh, starting at verse 1 and go into verse 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, when we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we, we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body a flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing. Father God, um, we thank you for your word and how it is without error. It will not ever fail us. And because of that, Lord, I, I can rest, knowing that my job is not to make this relevant, because Scripture itself is relevant. So Lord, would you open our ears and our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be so changed and so transformed that we we will become more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, have your way with us in totality, individually and as a congregation, have your way with us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Monday, I started kind of a fire on um, Facebook, for those of you who are on Facebook. Uh, those of you who aren't, let me kind of bring you up to speed. Um, I asked a question. If you could choose one psalm, or one song, one hymn, uh, that kind of encapsulated or captured the core Passions of your heart. What would be that that hymn or that song? And boom! All of a sudden, it, it started exploding. And then you get kind of the late tricklers in, that like Jason, who gives the last minute. Oh, hey, here's my song. But most everybody has responded quickly, and and the responses was overwhelming about some of these old songs. In fact, when I I showed up at camp to pick up my kids, I think on I don't know, maybe it was Monday or whatever day it was and one of the staff members quickly met me and just said are you guys going to be having a hymn sing is that what this is all about if so i will be there so sometimes these songs get so embedded in our heart that we get excited to sing them right because they they capture something about our heart and what we believe about our core passion about who jesus christ is what he has done for me what he continues to do for me for me i i It's hard for me to, even though I gave you, what is that one? I cheated. I gave you like three of my favorite, favorite hymns. And really, that felt like I was kind of cutting back. But here's one of my favorite songs. Uh, One of my favorite hymns is, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Listen to it in three verses. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, Rolling like a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to the glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loves us, ever loves us, changes never, nevermore. How he watches o'er his loved ones, died to call them all his own how for them He's interceding, watching o'er them from His throne. O oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love the best, tis an ocean vast of blessing, tis a haven sweet of rest. O oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, tis heaven of heavens to me, and it lifts me, up to glory for it lifts me up to thee and for me I, I read those and um, one of the first times I I heard this song and sang this song was at a what's called together for gospel together for the gospel down in Louisville and it's a, a, a conference for pastors and church people and it, it was I would say comprised of 98% men and There's probably 10,000 plus men in this Colosseum singing this song. And there was hardly a dry eye in the place. Because this hymn, this song, struck a chord of how true this is. It's lifting me upward. And not just to a nicer place, but it's lifting me upward to Christ himself. So for me, this is one of those songs that... it has a diversity and a beauty of the exaltation of Christ and the work work of Christ. And it also has this, this focus on delight and joy. So Colossians 15, 1, 15 through 20 captures the very heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. It, he, he distills even this ver- the very message of this book into just six Verses with clarity and with power. And you could think of these verses in this section as the core of the core. Like the very center of the very center. This is the core of the core. So we need to remember that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae because Paul is battling against a a false teaching or something that is starting to happen there and we called it the Colossian heresy and it was basically minimizing the centrality or the importance of Jesus Christ. The essential problem was that the church was slowly drifting away from Christ and we, we learned that even a, a vector change of just one degree at the very beginning will ultimately years down the road will take you far, far, far away from the core. Just one degree. And that's what he he was kind of addressing. The entire book is trying to combat that problem of drifting slowly, ever subtly, away from Christ. The structure and the wording and the languages of these verses are unique to the rest of this book, if you've been reading it. And it appears that it is some kind of hymn or some kind of creed that celebrates the preeminence of Christ over all things. There's some debates, and I don't want to get into debates about whether or not this was a hymn or a creed that was written before Paul, and Paul just kind of incorporated it in into this, this section. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter whether Paul authored it or whether it was already part of the church's use. The, the reality is, nobody knows very clearly, and it does not really matter, so we're not going to go into that, but we need to understand that these verses capture a very important theme regarding the doctrine of Christ. Christology. Don't be afraid of words like that. Christology, the study and the doctrine of Christ, who He is. And since there's so much material in these six verses, we're going to pull Paul Vroom and we're going to break it down into three sections. We're going to first... This week, look at the supremacy of Christ, the supreme nature of Christ in verses 15 and 16. And then next week, we're going to see how Jesus is the source of all things in verses 17 through 18. And then we will review Jesus Christ's role as our Savior in verses 19 and 20. So Jesus is supreme, He is a source, and He is a Savior. That's going to be kind of our, our theme. This section of scripture is probably one of the most christ-centered doctrinally loaded passages of the whole bible and it's helped me to kind of see this broken into like a hymn into different stanzas or verses different sections both of which start with he is and the firstborn you'll see that twice here it's very interesting to note that the first stanza ends also with the focus on Christ as the head of the church, and the second stanza ends with the focus on the Christ. So both stanzas begin with who Jesus Christ is, and they, then they describe what he does. This creed is also a, a very helpful summary of what the core of the core really is, and it's, it's It is a useful tool for even us as believers or investigators to really get clarity in the midst of doctrinal confusion during our day, to really understand who Jesus Christ really is. If you look across the whole uh, landscape of Christianity today, there are different views of who Jesus Christ is, what He looks like, what He means, and what He has done for us. Was He just a good teacher? Was He good, a good moral man? Was He a miracle maker? What, 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 who is this Jesus Christ? Is he, is he really fully God? Is He really fully man? Who, what, what is this? How does this all work? So there's all, We need clarity as to who Jesus Christ is. And by the way, doctrinal error and the need for clarity was often the reason that creeds and confessions were written we need some clarity here so we're going to write documents creeds and confessions about who Jesus Christ is what we believe for some of you you've grown up in confessional churches and and confessional doesn't mean that you pull down the kneeler and get down on your knees and have a moment or pull the kind of the shutters close and confess your sins with A priest, that's not what I mean by confessional church, but where you use these historic creeds and confessions to kind of crystallize this is what we believe and why we believe it. For me, I I I love I love the Heidelberg Catechism. It's it's one of those those tools that the churches, the Reformed Church has used over the years to kind of crystallize what we believe. And why we believe it with questions and answers to help us learn and grow. I love that we're part of the PCA where we can look at the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Shorter and Longer Catechisms and use those tools, those tried and true tools for knowing what we believe and why we believe it. It excites me that we've got a missional community, the the one that the Phillips are a part of, that on uh, their evening they use part of their time to investigate what does the Westminster have to say? Just one question. Let's just do one question. No more, because we probably can't handle any more. It is so meaty. So, in our present, almost anti-theological culture, reading and know or knowing a confession or creed is not certainly a prized or cherished thing, But I want to warn you where that might lead. A church of theologically ignorant people is more prone to heresy. It doesn't really matter. let's, Let's not major on that. Let's major on the major and, you know, minors. That doesn't really matter. But do you know where that leads you? It leads you to the Colossian heresy. So it is important to know if you don't fight heresy and, or guard against it by leaning um, all about you know, the nature and, 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 of what a heresy... Let me, let me put this. If you do not um, spend time knowing what you believe and why you believe it, it will lead you down there, down that pathway. It is critical that we know what we know with clarity and precision. But this also means that we better be sure that what we sing reflects what we really believe, right? We can't just choose, wow, that that is a slick song put out by this band or that church and it just makes my heart sing because it's warm and fuzzy. Warm and fuzzy without Biblical moorings is a very dangerous thing. So Todd does a lot of work of making sure the songs that we sing together reflect what Scripture reveals about God Himself. It is critical that we do that, that we sing theologically correct, biblically correct songs that reflect God's nature to us. So verses 15 through 20 are meant to be some kind of distillation of the core of the core. And Paul maybe even hoped hmm, Paul maybe even hoped that the church would have this memorized. I don't know. Maybe I'm on to something. So uh, So here's two key questions that we have got to be wrestling with. And they're very foundational questions. They're found in, in Colossians 15 and 16. There are a few more, few more important questions than these. Question number one is, who is Jesus? And some of you are going, are you serious? Is this Sunday school again? It's critical. Who is Jesus? And the second question is, what did Jesus do? So let's start off with the first question. Who is Jesus? Verse 15 identifies two things about Jesus. First, he is the image of the invisible God, and second, he is the firstborn of all creation. Image of the invisible God, firstborn of of all creation, and both of these are enormously powerful statements regarding the substance and the person of Jesus Christ. What does it mean that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? To understand the, the answer to that question, we must begin with some, some obvious, uh, an obvious uh, um, observation. God is invisible. It's obvious, right? He is invisible, and the Bible tells us that no one has or is able to even see God. God even told Moses, as we, we learned when we walked through Exodus, that no one can see me and live right and why is that it is because of God's infinite holiness and our definite brokenness we cannot stand before a holy God you stand before a holy God in our infinite brokenness and what happens obliteration we cannot stand God's holiness so invisible does not mean that he doesn't exist or that he isn't real it means that God is not seen by us because he lives and operates in realms of existence that we know nothing about. God is not like us. We've heard that before, right? For 52 weeks in Exodus. God is not like us, but He likes us. You and I only kind of really know the world in three-dimensional kind of ways, right? We, we know the length, we know the depth, we know the, the, the width of things, kind of three-dimension, and, but the reality is that those categories to God are absolutely laughable categories. You can, God is saying, you cannot put me into those categories. You can't describe me by length, width, or height, or any of those kind of things. There's, he, he cannot be seen because of this. Rather, it is that God... Ap- operates in categories of space and time that do not even exist in our minds. And this is where Jesus, as the image of God, comes in. In the incarnation, when he became man, he entered. Think about this. Think about this. God who, who blows all of our categories, and we don't even have categories for God, He entered into our limited, finite, and His created world. He was humbled in becoming human, living on the earth with limitations, and experiencing even death on a cross. So, now, if I would ask you, why did Jesus become man? Many of you would give me some great answers and probably at the top of the list would be well he, he came to provide a sacrifice. he came to die on the cross for our sins he had to make a way right and that is a very good and right answer but it's a very limited and incomplete answer as to why jesus came jesus became man so that he could fully reveal the father to mankind so his death is extremely important to and so is his life. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, he showed us what God is really like. He made the invisible visible, right? He, he is as close to as what we will ever see in this life to seeing what God is really like. L- listen to John uh, chapter 1. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. What kind of glory? As of the one Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Jesus has made God known by putting on flesh and dwelling among us. John 14, Whoever has seen me has seen, who? The Father. Or 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. He shows us what the glory of God looks like. He is the image of God to mankind. Therefore, if you want to know who God is or what God is like, you have to know and understand His Son. You want to know the Father? You have to know the Son. But secondly, he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, some of you are going to go, "Mm, Hold on a second, what does that mean? He's the firstborn of all creation. I thought he was God. What does it mean that he is firstborn of all creation? Because it sounds like the Bible is saying that Jesus was the first thing or the first person created. And this is not what the meaning of the word is here, nor was that Paul's intent. So hear hear this. To be the firstborn means that you are first in rank, in honor, and in power. So if he is the firstborn of all creation, he is the first in rank. He is the first in honor, the first in power. The word has its roots in the Old Testament in passages like Psalm 89, uh, 89, verse 27, where God says about David, I will make Him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Therefore, to be the firstborn of all creation means that He is exalted based upon two things. First, He exists prior to creation. And second, He is the rightful heir of creation. Hebrews 1 Gives us this amazing cross-reference here. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So who is Jesus? Let's put this all together. He is the full disclosure of God to man. The full disclosure of God to man. He is the image of the invisible and he does so as the one who exists prior to creation and who is the rightful heir to everything that was ever created. So you think about he owns the cattle on a thousand hills yeah because he created those thousand hills and he even created those those cattle on a thousand hills of course he created them therefore he's the heir of all them and so verse fifteen just explodes with the, the power and the supremacy of christ 13 words that make the hearts of those who, who know him leap for joy. He, that's who he is. And you get excited about it. He's he, he, all glory, all honor, all praise. My life is due to him. He created me. I find my, my worthiness in him. Yes, thanks be to God. But these 13 words also strike bone-chilling fear into, into the hearts of those who are in rebellion. If this is true about this God, I have something to fear. So Jesus is supreme. He is the the communication of God to man. This is what I'm like, is what this is saying right here. He is sovereign over all creation. That is who Jesus is. But it leads us to our second question, right? It's, It's really nice to find out who He is but the next question is, what did Jesus do? The stunning answer is that not only is Jesus the full disclosure of God and existed before creation as the rightful heir, heir, not error, heir, heir, he was the one creating everything that we see and know. We learn that Jesus is the creator. The text says, For by Him all things were created. If you skip ahead to the end of the verse, you will see this thought even repeated. All things were created through Him. However, the nuance between these two statements is a bit different and important. By Him and through Him. Those are important differences. By him likely means that everything was created within his realm or sphere of influence. You could render the sentence as by him or in him. We saw this in verse one, uh, chapter one, verse four, with the phrase faith in Christ Jesus. Faith is not just toward Jesus Christ, but it is a faith that is captured in the realm of everything that is Jesus Christ. This is all about Jesus Christ. And as it relates to creation, this means that everything created was under the banner of in Christ. Everything. Everything. In other words, nothing falls outside of Christ. Nothing. Jesus says, Mine over everything. But through him. Through him indicates that Jesus was the agent and the means by which creation took place. It, by him, talks about the realm. The through him says, I'm the means. I did it. This is my kingdom. And I'm the doer. Not only was creation all within the bounds of Christ's authority, but everything that was created owes its very existence to Christ. And therefore, that explains why every knee shall bow. Everything. Everything was created through Him. Therefore, there is nothing that exists outside of the realm of Christ and there's nothing that exists apart from his action. He made and he owns absolutely everything. Nothing is ever dynamic until there's something specific about it. And Paul takes the thought of creating, uh, creating and ruling Christ and he applies it. Remember that he is attacking some kind of wrong thinking going on in the church uh, that elevates powers or, or uh, unseen spiritual forces over Christ. He, he highlights the scope of Christ's supremacy over the following thing. You see, whether in heaven and in earth, invisible and visible, Paul uses this this poetic form of parallelism right here to say that Jesus is the supreme creator over everything seen or unseen. So heaven is to the invisible as to earth is to the visible. So he's saying, listen, if you can't see it, still Christ. He's supreme over it. What you can't see, Christ. He's supreme over that. Jesus is sovereign over everything. Everything in all realms owe their life and therefore their allegiance to Christ. Everything. But then Paul goes on and says, listen, he's even supreme over spiritual forces. Paul jumps on the, the invisible piece here, identifying four cosmic powers which are under the authority of Christ. And, and many pastors would love to go into this and kind of break down, oh, what does this mean? What are these, these, these thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities? Hey, I, I'm not going to do that this morning. It's a distraction. The Bible often just uses these as, as regarding the unspiritual forces, whether good or evil. So we're not going to make too much pay too much attention to the order or the arrangement and all that meaning. All, All that we need to know is that there is some ranking. And it appears that this is simply a list of spiritual powers in the unseen world. And his point, Paul's point, is this. All spiritual powers, good and bad, are subject to Christ. All. Seen or unseen. Subject to Christ. Therefore, everything in, the, in, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, and all spiritual force, forces, from the highest spiritual forces to the lowest spiritual forces, belong to Christ. Everything was made in Him, under His banner. Everything has been made through Him. He made it. But there's one more thing. Everything was made for Him. And this is where the hymn reaches its absolute crescendo, its peak. Not only is Jesus the image, the firstborn, the realm and the source, He is also the very focal point or the reason why all things matter. Nothing exists just because it has intrinsic value everything in creation derives its worth because of its value honoring christ there's this emotional summary even for paul at the end of this of his mind-blowing content from uh, romans 9 through romans 11 Paul kind of breaks all this down. What, what God has been doing is he's telling the Roman church, listen to this, listen to this. This is how he's predestined. This is how he's working all these things. Then all of a sudden, Paul in Romans eleven thirty six goes, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And then he says, to him be the glory forever. Paul just has this emotional, almost breakdown of praise and adoration I can't believe that He's done this. To Him be all glory forever and ever. Amen. And Jesus is the image, the firstborn, the realm, the source, the focal point. Or let's just put it this way. Jesus is the core. This is it. And the more that I learn about this, the more that my heart leaps for joy. And this is what Paul even wants for you. For your heart to leap for joy knowing this about Christ. He wanted to to briefly, clearly, and powerfully drive these truths into your heart so that you find your allegiance, your identity, your worth, your value in Christ because He created you. And therefore, since He's the firstborn of all creation, He is is worthy of of all praise, all adoration. It is rightfully due to Him. And you humbly bow your knee at Him. In 1978, a, a man, I, and I love his name, a man named Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, an African-American pastor, gave a sermon And in this sermon, called uh, "The Seven-Way Jesus," he gave a six-minute uh, section in it that is just well known throughout uh, evangelical circles. And this this sermon is meant to exalt the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so, instead of the six minutes, I'm going to give you three minutes and 13 or 19 seconds. Listen to Pastor Shadrach Meshach Lockridge talk. My king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That my king, I wonder if you know him, You know there's that part of you that just wants to say yeah that's my king you know but what's wrong with us should this not be something that we just say yes that paul you're right that's my king And, and this so changes the way that i move the way that i live the way that i perceive my world the way that i relate to other people so we have to ask the one final question what does this mean What does this mean for you today in 2015? What does it mean for you tomorrow morning as you go back to work, as you engage in your daily routines, whether at home or workplace? What does it mean for you? We have to ask, what does this mean? In other words, in light of what we've learned about Jesus Christ, what should we think and what should we do? Let me give it to you first. Here's the first one. Jesus is the center. Deal with it. And I want it to sound kind of, and feel kind of edgy. I, I really want you to consider, where are you with Christ? Where, what do you believe about Jesus? If Jesus really is the image, the firstborn, the source, the focal, the everything is under his banner, then we need to know how we relate to him. Jesus is either your Savior or He is going to be your judge. He is the center. Second, to know God, you must know Jesus. The Bible tells us that creation declares that God exists. And anyone who has welcomed a 32nd year old baby into the world and heard his or her first cry knows that this is true God is real look at this how how is this even possible and I believe in your heart you know this to even be true the only way that you are going to know God personally and recover from the mess in your life is to receive Christ He's the center of the universe, and He's the only way to be right with God. And everyone must deal with this issue. Third, what does it mean? Life wasn't meant to work without Jesus. So quit living like it. Remember, all things were made by Him, in Him, and for Him. Everything in life was meant to have Christ at its center, Here's just a few examples. Marriage, we're gonna to get to it. Marriage, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are to submit their husbands as unto the Lord. You know, it, that's what. It's not meant to work any better than this. Children are to obey their their parents as unto the Lord. That's the way deal with it. This is. It's not supposed to work well without Christ. Servants, they are to work hard with sincerity of heart, fearing fearing the Lord. Relationships, we are to submit to one another as unto Christ. Sexuality, our bodies are members of Christ. You are bought with a price, Christ's death. Therefore, our bodies are not our own. They are Christ's. And He can determine how we live sexually. It Our time. We are to make the most of our time understanding what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 5.17 Your time is not even your own. So live in the reality of Christ as the center with your time. Everything. Colossians 3.17 Just in case you think something is missing, Paul says do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do everything. Everything. So you cannot be God's kind of person, partner, parishioner, or provider without without Christ in the center. What does this mean? Number four, God's goal is to make me and to make you like Jesus. That's his goal. Have you ever said, God, what in the world are you doing to me? How many have asked that question? Be honest. God, what in the world are you doing here? Seriously, give me some space. I don't get it. If you haven't asked that question, you're lying. There's probably some point where you've asked those, those, those questions. And I know it's kind of funny, funny to think about that, but the Bible answer, even answers this question. Jesus imaged the Father to the world, and God is relentless, relentless in His passion to make you like His Son. In, the, in fact, the Bible says in Romans 8, all things. How much? All things work together for good. For what purpose? To be conformed to the image of his son. All things. So, if you ever need to wonder what God is up to, God is up to conforming you to look like his son. The question is whether or not we get on board with that, right? In the midst of our joy and our sorrow. Number five. What does this mean? Everything. Everything must have God's permission. Everything. There is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing that happens outside of the control and the supremacy of Christ. Even, hear this, friends, even the devil's schemes and all the enemy's devices Must submit to the sovereign rule of God. Everything. So don't let the devil, don't let your flesh tell you that God has abandoned you. He hasn't. Look at Job. Oh my gosh. God had Satan on a leash. And he says, this is as far as I am going to let you go. Now come back. The same is true for us. Every throne, every dominion, every ruler, every power, both seen and unseen, bend the knee to Jesus Christ. He is the king and the devil is not free. Know that. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Some people fear Halloween. You have nothing to fear about Halloween. Nothing. Do we have to be careful? Oh, yeah. But God is still king. And the devil is not free. So the Apostle Paul gives us this crystal clear creed that can be used to combat heresy and give us great comfort to our heart. And this passage answers two questions. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? And the answer is Jesus is supreme over everything including my life. Including your life. He is supreme over your life. Or to put it into a creed or hymn that you might all know. A mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Doth ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name from age to age the same. And He must win the battle. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is for That's my King. And that's Yours. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for just solely who You are. We don't have to invent words. We don't have to come up with phrases and devices to describe You for Your Word has revealed By your Spirit, through broken and uh, yet carried along by your Spirit, men, you have revealed who you are. And for that, we praise you. Lord, help these words and these truths that you have given to us, help them to lodge in our hearts. To remind us that you truly are sovereign and supreme over everything. Whether visible or invisible, on heaven or on earth, you are king. And Lord, we praise you that you are our king. So God, may our lives be more conformed to that reality. May we be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And reflect that image to a lost and broken world. So that through our lives, they will see who Jesus Christ is, and what He has done in our lives so that ultimately they will give glory to God the Father. So Lord, have Your way with us. Change us. Make us more like Jesus. And Lord, if there is one here this morning who does not know, Lord, I pray that this person would bend their knee to the Sovereign Lord, the One who has made a way through Jesus Christ Lord, would they confess that they are sinners in need of a merciful, gracious Savior? And Lord, would they cling to Him? Cling to the finished and perfect work of Jesus Christ? Father, as we come to this table, as we've heard Your Word as your Spirit has ministered to us, would you nourish us through the elements? Would you feed our souls with the truth of who Jesus Christ is, his broken body and his poured out blood? And Lord, would this be a testimony of your ongoing work in our lives and in this world? this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.